Amen. Thank you, Brian. And thank you, uh, Grayson and the worship team. Uh, if you're new this morning, my name is John, as he said, and normally I get the privilege of leading you all in, in worship. Uh, but this morning, uh, when, like whenever I get to preach, it was a, a great honor and privilege to stand out there and worship and hear all of your voices, stand with my family and sing. Uh, it was a great thing. So thank you guys for uh, leading, leading us in that. Uh, as uh, Brian mentioned uh, earlier, we are in the sixth and final week of our Psalms series. We've been going through uh, not all of the Psalms, but we selected a few different that represent the different types of Psalms. And Brian started us off a couple weeks ago with a wisdom Psalm. And then Todd led us into a creation Psalm. And then Mark Lindblom into a personal lament. And then Vince into a corporate Praise, And then last week, Joel A.G. led us through a communal lament. And this morning, we're going to be looking at an individual praise psalm of David, a famous one, Psalm 139. But if you're, if you're just here this morning and you haven't been here for all of those different uh, psalm studies, don't worry. Or if you haven't been doing the Bible study, don't feel like you won't be able to follow along. We'll uh, hopefully make this uh, be able to stand on its own. Uh, but if you have been, if just raise your hand if you've been really, really enjoying going through that Bible study with, with a group of folks. Um, it's been awesome. Uh, it was wonderful to be a part of the team that put that together. And uh, we just want to say, if you're visiting this morning, welcome. Uh, we're glad to have you. My normal day job, uh, not here, is a middle school music teacher. And usually people go, oh, middle school, oh... And most of that is true. Uh, but every day uh, in every class, I use the roll call time. I kind of redeem the roll call time uh, to ask some get-to-know-you questions of my students. What is your favorite ice cream? Tell me about a chore you have in your, in your household. Uh, so I thought I would try that on all of you this morning. So the question this morning is, who knows you the best? And so we're just going to go one by one, and we're going to go... You don't have lunch plans, I'm sure. Uh, no, you can just think the answer out loud. Who knows you the best? Or to say it as a statement, the person who knows me the best is... And think the name of that person. And now if you're comfortable doing this, share it with the person next to you, unless it's your spouse next to you and they aren't the person who knows you the best. <laughs> at which point, that would be awkward. But if you're comfortable to share who knows you the best... Or maybe besides you, honey, this person. All right. Now, probably many of you said a spouse or a sibling or maybe a really good friend. And some of you feel like, you know, I'm a really complex person. There isn't one person that truly understands me because I'm this and this and this. You know, there's lots of different parts of me and it's really hard to get. I'm really the only one who really knows me, right? <laughs> there, are those, there are those, right? But if, uh, this morning, I'm hoping to show you through this psalm, Psalm 139, how incredibly intimately God knows you and why that matters. And so if you have your Bible, if you begin, uh, or if there's a Bible in front of you, the Red Pew Bibles, uh, you're going to need it because we're going to be going through it a little bit. Uh, if you would start turning to Psalm 139, just kind of in the middle of your Bible, and you can read along with me either in the Bible or on the screen. Psalm 139, for the director of music, I like that part. Of David, a psalm. 
O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before you have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious concerning me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And When I wake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for these beautiful words that you inspired David to write. Thank you that we have them. What a a treasure. And this morning I pray that we would see in them uh, truth about who you are and that it would sink into our hearts and not just our minds and that it would change us and that we would leave here changed this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what a beautiful psalm, amen? And uh, it's a famous one, right? It has those verses, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. There's some verses in here that are so famous. They're on signs, they're on bookmarks, they're on cutesy uh, Instagram posts with all the scripty writing, right? They're even on those things we put on our walls. You know how we put like wood on our walls with stencil words on it? We buy it from the store. I think 30 years from now, we're going to look back at that and think, what were we doing? Why were we putting wood with stenciling on it on our walls? What a strange thing. Um, But... It's famous for a reason, right? And with any famous passage like this, uh, there are many people in the room who there's, these are their favorite verses. These are their favorite passages. And they're hoping that when the preacher gets to them, that he'll, or he or she will do them justice, right? Well, fair warning, I will not be able to do all of the nuggets encapsulated in this passage justice in the 30 minutes this morning. So I may move faster over portions that you would just love to sit there and hang out all day. Uh, But if you love them so much, there's more in the study and you can go and study them there on your own. 
Um, before we get through and kind of walk through this, a little bit about the structure. This is an individual praise. And like other individual praises in the Psalms, it has a nice, simple structure. It starts with this vow to praise. And then it goes into the reasoning why, describing why he's praising God. And then it ends, uh, like every good English teacher, you know, you've got to start and end with your, your points, right? Uh, to say why you're praising again, right? So we're going to see that as we go through. Now, you may have noticed as we were reading this together, but there were two main overarching themes that he was kind of developing in there. And these themes were uh, the fact that he knows everything, that he's all-knowing, or the big word, omniscient. And secondly, the second section, that he is everywhere all the time, that he's all-present or omnipresent. Now, these are the nice big Christianese words, but we'll get into them in a little more uh, detail and what that looks like. But he knows us. That's the, the main point of this whole thing. He knows us well, intimately. And that's what we all want, right? Deep down, we all just want to be known. Uh, this last week, Disney Plus came out with its new uh, streaming service and online video watching service. And many of you, I'm sure, have been uh, watching those. In our home, we've been watching some of the old Disney classics. And it's a, it's a funny reminder that uh, all these old Disney princesses, right? They're always these teenage girls who feel misunderstood. Nobody gets me. I have to go off somewhere because it, my, my hometown or my people don't understand me, right? And I realize, wow, what a, what a universal desire that this really is to be understood, to be really gotten, to be known to be seen, to be truly understood, to feel like at least one person really knows me. It's that kind of intimate relationship that most of us long for. But even in the most transparent of relationships, there often remain hidden corners, unspoken things. And what's the reason for this? The reason for this is, I think, even if we don't say it, the reason we keep some of these corners of ourselves hidden is because I think deep down, there's a fear. And the fear says, if I truly let people see who I really am, or let those see those parts of me, they might reject me. And I think all of us have had a thought like that, at least once in our lives. More on that in a little bit. Let's look at this knowing, this omniscience. Verses 1 through 6 are a section, and they give us this beautiful picture of God's omniscience through David's life. And the details of his life. And it starts in verse 1 by saying that, God, you have searched me and know me. It's a past tense. Notice, though, that it doesn't say that you know about me. It says that you know me. This knowledge that God has of us isn't distant or intellectual or just things about us that he's learned or about the human race that he sort of knows. It's intimate. It's personal. It's his habits. It's his daily routines says you have searched me right this idea of carefully inspecting or examining and as we look at this psalm the whole psalm you'll notice that there are these contrasting words these this and this right and there's a cool word uh called merism and it's this idea of you're going to say the the things on the outside not what you actually mean in the middle like ladies and gentlemen means everybody or in the morning the midday the night you're not just saying what you meant to say which was all day it's completely unnecessary, but it's a beautiful literary uh, way of getting something across. So if you look at this with me, um, kind of follow along, look at these things that God knows. 
starting in verse 2. He says, you know what I do. You know when I sit and when I rise. Simple enough. That seems easy, right, for a God. He can see when you, when you sit and when you rise. So he knows what we do. You know what I think. Look at verse 2. You perceive my thoughts from afar. All right, now we're getting a little touchy, right? That's when it starts to be like, hmm, hang on. <laughs> I don't know if I like that one as much. You're, I'm okay if you see when I sit and when I, when I lie down. But hmm, my thoughts from afar? That's a little, eh. You know where I go. Verse 3 says, you discern my going out and my lying down. Verse 4, you know what I say. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Uh-oh. We're not even talking about the ones we said, right? The ones before we even said them. And then in verse 5 is this beautiful, all-encompassing statement. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Do you see that? Behind, before, and your hand upon me. So how well does God know us? He knows what we do, what we think, what we don't think, where we go, and what we say before we say it, and he hems us in. That pretty much covers it. You could say he knows us. Knows us well. He knows our habits, our routines, our thoughts, our concerns, our words, even the words we don't say. And we're surrounded. This knowing of the inner thoughts, right? The mind and the heart. It's something that only God can do. It's, how, it's one of the ways that Jesus proved he was God. Remember in the stories where he's, he's doing something and over here are the religious leaders. And he would stop and say, why are you thinking those evil things in your heart? Hold on. Who's this guy telling me what I'm thinking and I'm not even saying it out loud? If you've been there, that would have been a moment like, oh, who is this guy? Right? It was one of the ways he proved his godness. And the Bible clearly teaches that God alone knows the secrets of men's hearts. And I don't know about you, but the very idea of God knowing my internal world gives me two feelings, kind of almost simultaneously. Fear and comfort. On one hand, it makes me fearful to let him see those dark corners and secrets of my inner life. But at the same time, it gives me comfort to think that the God who made me, this great big God, knows me and cares about my inner secret worries and concerns and hurts, even the ones I don't share or express. But then again, even in the thinking about this, I realized I had a false premise. And it's an easy one to fall into. That I somehow have control over what I let him see or not see or know or not know. You see, God is not surprised. He's not learning new things about us and being shocked like, oh no, I was searching and I found that, oh now what are we going to do? This is, uh, it's too much, right? He's not unaware of something. I'm not letting him see things. You see, all of these statements of what God was doing God is doing the action and we are the subject of that action. It says, Lord, you have searched me. You know me. You know when I sit. You perceive my thoughts. You discern. You are familiar. Uh, before a word of my, comes on my tongue, you know it. You hem me in. See, he's the one doing the action and we're the subject of that action. He already knows. There isn't anything outside of his knowledge. Verse 1 said, 
You have searched and you know me. So how does David respond to this? Verse 6, he gives us his response. Okay? Does he respond with fear like, get away from me? No, no, no. No, he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to even attain. You see, he's filled with wonder. It's too wonderful. He's filled with awe and with wonder. There's no limit to what God knows. And it should make us, when we see God and his limitlessness, it should make us stop and pause and realize our own limits and worship. It's at the very heart of worship, seeing God for his greatness and his bigness and giving him the praise for it that he is due, that he is worth, worth ship. So I was thinking about these psalms of praise and why they exist, and it occurred to me that it's very natural, right? When we encounter something great, I mean really, really great, not just good or okay, but great or awesome or spectacular, we usually want to tell somebody about it as soon as we can. We want to tell them how great it is. Even in our own silly life examples like a restaurant that we discover that's really great, right? The next time you see that friend, oh, I found this new place. It's amazing. The chef, you want to tell about the food or maybe it's a location that you found for a hike or a, or a view that you discovered or maybe a song or maybe it's an experience or a vacation, but whatever it is, we, if it's really worth it, we can't help but sing its praises. That's a phrase we use, right? Sing its praises. Tell everyone who will listen how great it is and why. Some people do this about technology and those of you who don't care are like, enough already. But that's it, right? And these, the ones that we've been looking at, are David's psalms of praise. Now at this point, he says, these things are too high for me. That he's filled with wonder and it's so, I'm not even going to try to attain. It's too high for me to even think about. Then in verse 7, he continues to try to explain it. He just talked about this hemming in in verse 6. Verse 7, he pivots to that idea of God's presence. And he asks, right in the middle of this whole psalm, there's this beautiful two questions. These one question, really. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Now, this might remind you of Jonah, the story of Jonah, running from God. God said, go. He said, no. He ran the opposite way and got tossed into the sea by the sailors, right, when the storm came. And he's descending into the depths. And there he discovers that God is with him even there. And he has this, even this psalm of praise there uh, in that area. Read this. It's kind of reminiscent of this. Read this with me. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, as if to myself, surely darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day for darkness is as light to you. I don't know why, but this little passage kind of reminded me of uh, green eggs and ham. Actually, a lot of this reminds me of green eggs. Would you, could you in this? Would you, could you? Kind of going to the next extreme and the next extreme. Even there, even there, right? If you've read green eggs and ham. But do you see these extremes that he's putting out? This and then this. Um, It says, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. Go ahead and point up. I teach middle school. I've got to keep them engaged. Go ahead and point up. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. And 
What? If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, where's the dawn? To the east, you are there, right? If I settle on the far side of the sea, you see what he's done there? Okay. Even your hand will guide me there. If I say darkness will hide me and light will become night, even the darkness will not be dark. So dark and light. So you see what happened up, down, up and over, dark and light, all these contrasts. He's painting a picture for us of the all-encompassing nature of this. But I, I have to pause here because there was some really, really beautiful poetry in this little section, right? This whole thing is poetry, but there was some elegant, elegant lines in here. And uh, what, I don't know if you guys know this, but there was a, a bunch of us that got together for several weeks. Some couples and different people got together to write the, the small group study. And that was a really, really sweet time of fellowship and, and learning the Psalms together. Um, but while I was reading through the Psalms, while we were doing that study, I, I was impressed that here's this guy, David, this king, right? This rock star king. I mean, he's the conquering hero who cuts off heads and rides into battle. And yet he's also, he uses his artistic side to play the harp and sing songs and write beautiful love poems to his God. You see, he isn't afraid to sing things like, if I rise on the wings of the eagle, uh, on the wings of the dawn. Isn't that beautiful? He wasn't afraid of that. And when we were studying uh, the Psalms together, Brian challenged us in the group to write our own psalm. And it was a scary little adventure. It was, uh, it was very vulnerable, right? And he said, and we're going to share them when we come back next time. So we all did this exercise. We went and we wrote them. And shared them kind of like eh, like that right but we were all blown away when we shared this with each other at the deep words of pain and of praise and these questions and the beautiful imagery of our fellow sierra gracers and it was like this was amazing this was profound and we we all said we think everybody should do this this is a worthwhile exercise and so We want to encourage you. I mean, these Psalms are the Psalms of David and they're the inspired word of God. And so sometimes we can look at, I can't, I can't do that, right? But it also sets an example for us. This was a man after God's own heart and he was expressing his life, the good, the bad, and the ugly to God through this poetry. And they used them in their songs and in their prayers. And so we want to invite you to try it. Try it. You might have a Psalm of lament in you. You might be going through a difficult season. You might have a psalm of thanksgiving and praise in you. But sit down and, and look at some that are similar in the, in the, in the Bible and the psalms and then just try your own in your own everyday language and see what comes out. And in that note, I mean, this guy, this king, right, David, he's not afraid to express himself artistically, right? We want to encourage you to not be afraid to express yourself artistically. Shameless plug for uh, Thursday night. We're going to have that art night where you can come and interact with this psalm in yet another artistic way. Um, If you have zero art skills, it is not going to be required. Just come and enjoy a time of fellowship and, and contemplating this Together. Okay, commercial for the art event over, uh, back to our text. So back in verse 13, if you're following along in, the, in, the, in your Bible, verse 13. Uh, this starts kind of a new section, but it actually acts as an extension. Notice the word for. It says for, and he's going to use this next section as an extreme example of this inescapable presence and all-consuming knowledge of God. He's going to refer to the mystery of his creation of birth 
and the numbering of his days to his very last. He states in this next section that even before he was, God knew him and was with him. And that God will be with him and know him to the very last of his numbered days and beyond. Read with me Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16. For, here's our extension word, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. There's that word again. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You see how he's saying, before I even came to be, before I knew me, you knew me and were with me. You were there. You saw me. This is one of those most quoted and used portions of Scripture to prove that life begins not at birth and that God cares deeply for the unborn. And rightfully so. It's a wonderful passage for that. But today, I don't think that's what the point is. Today, I want to look at, this is David saying, look, in the most unseen place, how, how extreme can I go for the time period of my life? How about before I was even, even, was, God was there and knew me and saw me. And he knows every day that is numbered for me and he will be with me and, and with the, that entire time. So this extreme of these unseen places, could there be a more unseen place? And I was having trouble um, understanding this section and kind of feeling it more personally. And then I think because God knew I needed a, a way to understand this, he gave me a little mini health scare. So if you've had a real health scare or you're in the middle of a, a health event, uh, this will sound like, really? That's not really that big a deal. Um, but it was, it was something for me. So on Saturday last week... Um, I woke up with almost no hearing in my left ear and a loud ringing. And it was one of those, "Mm -mm, nope, not doing this, God. This part's off limits. These, I'm a musician, not allowed to take that, right? And I was starting to panic all day and church came, I'm singing, I can't hear anything. And uh, I went to the prayer group uh, Sunday morning uh, last week for a, a wonderful time of prayer and and their prayer was and next week we'll hear a report of praise that god's healed it right and and he has and today i can hear perfectly it's wonderful and was but through that week i was starting to panic and i started going to the doctor and they would look in and they would do what they can see but the rest is unseen right and they would say yeah you know it's this nerve thing and we can't we don't really know why it happens it's this mystery and all this thing i'm thinking yeah, you're right. You can't see that. That's that unseen part, right? The hearing. This is unseen. And it's a mystery. And it just helped me. kind of gave me a, a personal like and a little bit of a comfort that this area of me that I can't see, the doctors can't see or understand, that the God who knit me together, that knows all those unseen places. And so you can take comfort if you are in, encountering a, a health anything or have. That the God who knit you together sees all of your unseen places and knows them intimately whether that changes the circumstances or not so in verse in chat in uh, section one he showed us how intimately god knows us section two he showed us god's inescapable presence 
And this third part that we just looked at shows the length to which, the extent to which, all our lives from before until after. And now we're going to look at what I think is kind of the key to this passage is verse 17 and 18. David stops to reflect on the thoughts that God has toward him concerning him and how precious they are to him. Verse 17, how precious concerning me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Obviously an extreme there. And when I wake, I am still with you. Isn't that beautiful? When I wake, I'm still with you. And this is why David can rest in God's knowledge and searching out of him. In his never-relenting presence. Because David knows his God personally. And he knows the love that God has for him. Like the song we sang this morning, you know the depths of my heart and you love me the same. You're amazing, God. David understands that God made him and cares about him as his child and knows him better than even he knows himself. And it isn't a threat to him, but rather a comfort. It's precious to him. See, without verse 17 and 18, all this searching out and knowing and being everywhere could be a little, uh, every move you make, every vow be watching you, right? Anybody else get creeped out by that song? I don't know. (laughs) It could have a different tone, right? But with this idea, with this foundation of God's deep love for him and care for him, Greater the thoughts of love toward him are greater than the numbers of the, of the sands and the earth. Right? That's, that's amazing. With that as a foundation, he's able to rest in that knowledge. Now, when we were reading through, I'm sure when we got to verses 19 through 22, if you look at your, about, would you just slay the wicked? You probably went, whoa, that's a little harsh, David. Man, we're just talking about the love of God, how wonderful God is. And you just took a turn took a left turn to slaying the wicked. And oftentimes in Psalms, sometimes we just kind of skip over those Psalms. Like, this is uncomfortable. I don't want to sit in this. Or it's a beautiful Psalm until that one section. Right? But I think there's a power to it. I think it's, we don't want to just gloss over it. It's a little bit confusing for us, maybe. But David had real enemies. They were real adversaries. They were trying to kill him. And they weren't fans of God and made no bones about it. And what does he say? He's like, faced with the awe and wonder of who you are and my love for you in this relationship we have. These guys over here are trying to kill me and speaking ill toward you. And hey, I don't want to have anything to do with them. I, I, it's like hatred. I hate them because of how they treat you. He's creating a contrast between them and himself and his relation to God. I want to have nothing to do with them. And then look at the end here. He says, he ends where he started, just like every good English teacher would have you do. He wraps it up with, I started with this ending with this search me O god and know my heart now wait a minute the first part said you have searched me and you know me so why in the world at the end is he saying okay search me and know me didn't god already do that so what is it that david understands david understands this isn't a one-time thing it's not a one and done god searches you knows you okay with god i'll take now let's let's go No, this is a journey of walking with God, of being led by him, growing up in him, becoming more like him, of God revealing to us areas of us that that maybe are going astray and need to be cleaned out. It's this sanctifying process. 
So what does he say? He says, search me, O God, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. Isn't it nice to know that he knows we have anxious thoughts? See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So this idea of searching out and, and God, point out to me if there's something I'm, not, I'm unaware of, right? Maybe I don't know. This reminds me of uh, growing up as a kid, and I had to awkwardly do this with my mom in first service, uh, but growing up as a kid, uh, we would have clean your room day. It was Thursday every day, every week, and it was our job to get our rooms as clean as we could. So we would do what normal kids do, shove things in closet, make it look as clean as we can. And like, yay, can I go do the fun things now? And it would, then it was like, dum, 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 dum. <laughs> That's how we saw it. It probably wasn't that intense. Um, and it was like, let's see what's under the bed and scoop it out to the middle. And uh, Some of you had this experience growing. And then what's in this cupboard? Nope, that's got to come out here. And of course, what do I do? I now do this to my own children, of course. But it's a little like this. God's like, let's... Let's look in here. We're like, nope, nothing to see there. You don't need to see that. That's just, I, that's kind of an off-limits area, God. We're just going to, no. He's like, I want to I work on this. I want to, and even worse than that, as this, he says, point out to me. Maybe I'm unaware of something. God might even go, did you know you have a closet over here with a closed door with some stuff? I do? <laughs> look at that. <laughs> right? And so he's like, Let's clean that out. Let's change that. Let's make that area more like me, more like my son, Jesus Christ. This, this prayer is so wonderful. It has a wonderful... Because um, he, he, David knows. He knows that he doesn't even truly know his own heart. Right? He doesn't. He says, God, I want you to search me and know my heart. T- test me. Tell me. Uh, know these things about me. Because I don't even know this about myself. That's an that's a act of maturity. That's a very mature prayer to say, test me and show me, reveal to me the areas that are hidden that I'm unaware of and lead me. It kind of mirrors Jesus' prayer, right? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's this reliance on God to show us and lead us. That we don't have this, it's the surrendering of our own control. I love that he shows that he understands our anxious thoughts. Um, I teach middle school, and this idea of anxiety is just rampant. It is skyrocketing. They, the, the numbers are like it was in the 20 and 30 percent. People would say they have crippling anxiety, and now it's like of like teenage girls, it's like in the 60s and 70 percentile. So I just so the fact that that's there is just what a comfort that God knows that about us, right? He says, test me and know my anxious thoughts and lead me. What a mature, powerful prayer. But look at these actions that he's inviting. He says, search me, know me, test me, reveal to me the offensive ways and lead me. All those are actions that he's asking. God, do this, right? And if we wrap up thinking about this psalm, I think it's important to recognize that we really have two optional responses. Okay, so... We have now learned that God knows everything and he is everywhere. He knows my inner thoughts and everything about me and there's nothing hidden from him and there's nowhere I can hide from him or go without him. One optional response is, oh no, how terrifying. That's not good because there's some, yeah. And the other one is, oh wow, how comforting, how wonderful. Praise God. 
that he cares about the little stuff that I worry about, about my, even my habits, my routines. And he's going to be with me from before I was till my death and beyond. And that he thinks about me and he loves me. Those are drastically different responses. And I think all of us have had at least one of those responses at one time in our life. We're having that right now. But what's the difference? What is the missing key from one to the other? be able to respond like David. I think it's surrender. Surrendering to this searching out and revealing of ourselves. The surrendering of our will to his, of our false sense of hiddenness and control. What did it say in the center of our psalm? He said, if I say to myself, surely the darkness will hide me. Right? We say that, don't we? It's kind of ludicrous to think we think that what's done in secret or in the dark is really secret and hidden. But we've been trying to hide from God from the very beginning, from the very first sin in the garden. Adam and Eve thought their way was better than God's way. And when they sinned, what did they do? They hid from God. And God asked, where are you? He, he didn't not know. But when faced with his presence, his all-knowing presence... They were forced to see their sin for what it was. To see God for who he really is, like we just did today, shows us who we really are. And when we come face to face with our real selves and stop trying to run or hide or pretend God doesn't know or doesn't see, I think we finally have to face the fact that, like the preacher Tim Keller often says, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Let that sink in. That's the beginning of it. If the start there, understanding that I'm not who I actually think I am. This is who I really am apart from God. And yet, there's hope. The second half of this quote says, At the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Both are true at the same time. When we surrender our will to His, when we stop running from Him and confess what He already knows, accept His Son's sacrifice on our behalf, then and only then can we truly rest in His love for us and have nothing to fear or hide from Him. And we can know, like Romans 8.1 says, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And we can say with David, search me and know me. Show me my faults because I, I know that I'm yours. And there's nothing that can separate me from your love. So please lead me in the way everlasting as the, as the psalm ends. Lead me in the way everlasting. Because there is a way, a singular way. There is one way everlasting. David pointed forward to it. But the Proverbs say there's another way. There's a way that appears right to a a person, but in the end it leads to death. And like Gary quoted this morning from Jesus said, I am the way, that singular way, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And we can walk in this way everlasting and rest in this 
all-consuming knowledge and presence of God because we know, we can know the incredible love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. So I'm hoping that you take away from this that God knows you and cares to know you intimately. There's nowhere you can go that you'll be away from Him. That can be a comfort. And that He'll be with you your entire life. And that His thoughts toward you are innumerable. Innumerable? One of those two. Right? And that hopefully you can say with David, search me and know me, God, and lead me in the way everlasting. Would you stand and pray with me? And while, I'm, while we're saying this, I would like to invite the prayer team to come forward. And if... If you would like prayer for anything, anything at all, if something in this sermon has pricked your heart, if the Holy Spirit is leaning on you, or there's something that you would like to praise God for, uh, there are going to be people up here in the front that would love to pray with you um, about that. But let's pray this prayer together. And I would invite you this week to pray it, maybe memorize it, maybe write it down somehow. Search me, O God. And know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God bless you. Go in peace.